survivors and welcome to Reserve Tank, a Metroid podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray, bonus episode 15, and ahead of the first brand new entry in 19 years, in this edition we land on the surface and make our way into the bowels of an alien world in our look back on the Super Nintendo classic, Super Metroid. I'm your host, Cy, and joining me on Zeebs this week... My very own Metroid Amiibo bounty hunter from Serial Box 64, it's Jordan Sugru. Hi folks. In space, no one can hear you spam the X-ray scope at every single wall, it's Firebutton Steve Valance. Guilty as charged. <laughs> of course. And I don't have any more fancy intros because I've been too distracted by the Super Metroid original soundtrack. Sorry, nonetheless, from Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. He's lying, he doesn't like me very much, that's why I don't get a cool intro. <laughs> The subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but to also create new content, select what that content is, and hear it one month before everyone else. Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. So as with always on our bonus episodes, we like to break things up with a little bit of music. Uh, as I just previously mentioned, the Super Metroid original soundtrack is is a classic. I think we can get that out of the way now. Uh, there's a lot to choose from. We've got a very special one this time. A piece of music from a YouTuber by the name of Glasses. That's G-L-A-S-Y-S. Uh, do lots of covers of video game themes. I've done lots of Metroid themes, but in particular... Uh, this particular one is a, a remix featuring T-Pain. <laughs> Not kidding. This is the first episode of First Days Bro featuring T-Pain. <laughs> so look out for uh, Glasses featuring T-Pain covering a Metroid Super Metroid piece to break up a discussion uh, of this episode. Yes, look forward to that. It's going to be something very special indeed. So we are here to talk about this SNES classic that we've kind of... We've been not desperate to talk about, but it's come up quite a few times. It's been on many polls, and it's come close every single time. Um, it's been on our uh, sort of bucket list, our uh, pile of shame episodes, uh, and and it missed missed the cut a couple of times. And it was on our Nintendo poll, and it didn't quite make it. But um, I think we should just do it anyway. And also, let's just be straight with the hype around Metroid Dread coming out. Uh, very soon, and of course, Super Metroid just turned 25 this year as well. It just seemed like a good timing to talk about this game. Just get it out of the way. We want to do it, uh, and I'm certain there are plenty of people out there that want to hear it as well. Um, so, Super Metroid was released on March 19th, 1994, for the first time in Japan, uh, April 18th, the same year in the US, and July 28th in PAL. Uh, as I said, that makes it 25 this year, no matter where you are. It released 25 years ago in your region. Um, it was written and directed by the Metroid figurehead Yoshio Sakamoto, who we were just talking off mic, has had his hand in pretty much every 2D Metroid game and also other M as well. Um, yeah, the, the staff was managed by Nintendo legend Gunpei Yokoi, and the staff was comprised of a mere 15 people. How games development has changed in the last 25 years. Um, it was developed over a period of two years after a year-long pre-production and pitching period to Nintendo and released uh, coming up on 10 years after the original game. It received pretty good reception when it came out, let's put it that way. Um, lots of 
90% to 9 out of 10s. Edge gave it out at 8 out of 10. EGM gave it 36 out of 40. Uh, GameSpot, 8.5 out of 10. IGN gave it 9.5 out of 10. Uh, so on and so forth. On game rankings, it has a aggregate score of 97%. Um, and even many years after its release, it still goes down in many lists of the greatest game of all time. Uh, again, IGN ranked it as third uh, out of 100 games, the top third game in 2003, the top 10 uh, in 2005, and then back down to seven in 2007. And their readers also put it in 11 uh, in their top top games of all time in 2005 and fourth in 2006. So even 10 years plus after its release, it's still getting in that top 10, often top five spot. And I imagine that's probably pretty accurate even 15 years since then as well. So let's all talk about, first of all, our first experience with Super Metroid. Uh, Jordan, I'm going to start with you because, of course, we can now sort of peel back the curtain. Uh, this was your pile of shame poll uh, option when we started much to the reaction of many of us going really you've never played super metroid so of course this is your first time playing uh super metroid what was your previous metroid experience like before then well yeah first first of all you know cats out of the bag now this this was my choice and i i don't know why nobody went with super metroid why no poll went with super metroid because, uh, you know, just as a message to you, the listener, apparently you wanted Heavy Rain more than you <laughs> wanted Super Metroid. Now, I didn't mention it at the time, but it hurt me a little bit that you wanted to go with a David Cage story rather than, you know, one of the best 16-bit games of all time. But, no, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't take it personally, don't take it personally. We're finally here. Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to hear a podcast about one of the best games ever. But, yeah, I mean, this is first time playing it. And to be honest, with, with Metroid, uh, lar largely I was kind of, I was blocked off by the first sort of uh, NES Metroid. Um, it was kind of hard to get into. I tried playing it number, a number of times, mm -hmm. and this is like the password version. So, you know, when you, when you died, you got a password, which is, it's fine. You can obviously, you can continue your progress, but it, it does... Uh, derail it somewhat compared to say like save games um, which is quite easy, you just jump straight back into the action and I just I, I, I didn't have the patience for it as a kid so I, yeah, I, I, I tried that many times and then eventually what actually kind of warmed me back to uh, giving Metroid another shot was actually Castlevania hmm. because I played Symphony of the Night and I said wow this is one of the best games ever um it, it's fantastic and you know this very heavily borrowed from super metroid especially um so why am i not playing metroid and i think with with super metroid in particular it was um it, it was kind of a case of this is so good this is such a sort of a, an amazing experience that you know i almost have to pick the right time and i could never sort of pick the right time find the right time to do it and then uh just out of nowhere one day i started playing um i started playing metroid zero mission and it went from a sort of like you know i, I just got a like a new game boy advance screen you mm. know set in and i was like right let's have five minutes on uh, on metroid these really colorful games they look great played it for five minutes uh and then i just did a whole playthrough from that day <laughs> carrying on to the next day and then 
a week later I did Metroid 2, uh, you know, the Game Boy original one. And that was it. All of a sudden I'm suddenly hooked on Metroid. And it just so happens this year that they've announced a new one. Mm. Um, so obviously this has been a pile of shame pick for a while, for as, for as long as we've run uh, the fan polls uh, for our pile of shame picks. So I've been desperate to actually, you know, get around to covering this on the podcast and obviously using it as a great excuse to play it. Um, so, yeah, this is this is where I'm at now. Um, and coming coming off the back of that, and then going into Fusion and then Dread in October. Excellent. I think we're all very excited to hear uh, a fresh opinion on Super Metroid, someone who's played it this year for the first time. Uh, someone who... I wager played it a long time ago. Sherwin, do you remember your first experiences with, well, Metroid in general, but Super Metroid specifically? No, I played, um, you're right about playing it a thousand years ago <laughs> when the world was young. Um, so I played the original Metroid um, on my NES, and I just wasn't of a level, friend of mine, I was quite young, I wasn't able to play it through to any real sense of conclusion. It's a really like old school punishing game like you start off with 30 health for example like you don't even start off with full health in this game or anything and it was really not it was grim and um i just wasn't really there to actually be able to play it and i must admit i put it down and sort of didn't really get along with it for whatever reason um and then super metroid came out and i have no idea to this day how it is that i end up getting super metroid i really don't but i remember playing it for one evening sitting down one saturday night and just started playing it, and then next thing I looked up, and it's like two in the morning, um, where I've been so engrossed in playing this game, and um, yeah, it's it's just it's one of those genre-defining games, and something which um, that game that we all talk about every so often called Resident Evil borrowed heavily from in mm. some areas, um, which I'm sure we'll get onto as this goes on, and um, yeah, it's just a this is absolutely without doubt a game that i go back to every so often um i mean i remember normally the, the, actually weirdly this is my normal this is my normal game for it was on my 3ds and it is now on my switch is my game for plane flights whenever i'm flying <laughs> to like the states or anything for a show or something i i play super metroid and blast through because it's just about the right length where you can really sink your teeth into it and then actually just play it through for a whole bunch of time because you're sitting still for like eight hours or whatever mm-hmm. um and yeah, it's just a really, really solid game. I've got nothing else to say. Do you know what? The best praise I can give it. This game is so good. It's almost as good as Resident Evil Gaiden. That's how good this game is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got some hyperbole of my own. Don't you worry. <laughs> Steve. I think you might have lifted that quote directly from Nintendo Power back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So, so. That was the, that was the sub-headline. Steve, do you remember your first experiences with Super Metroid? Loosely, it was on my older brother's snares, and we got the big box copy with the big manual, and I used to pour over that, like, strategy guide slash manual over and over and over again before I finally had my own crack at the game. And I was scared. Like, the, the opening bit, you know, the the, the ominous music and the, the pitch blue, or pitch black and blue room, mm. it, it, it generally, like, it, it tickled the darker parts of my brain, which, uh, you know, as a kid... I think put me off it for a while, um, but I eventually powered through. And upon powering through, it became one of those games that you just keep picking and playing. Like, 
it, the early SNES era for Steve was let's keep you know hot swapping between Super Metroid, Link to the Past, Mario World Two, and just the, you know just keep tripling through them. So it became a a very well tread bit of ground after that initial like barrier of fear. I know Steve Steve scared of strange things like you know sounds and a little ominous little chirp in the distance. Yeah, it left an impact on me. Uh, you know, I would I, like everyone else said has said so far. It, 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 uh, a level of nostalgia, maybe, but there is there's a landmarkness to it, and uh, it still gets regular plays from me. Like not not uh, every plane flight to America like Sherwin does, but um, yeah, it's it's a long haul game for me, and uh, as a result, uh, you know, I think the only other game series that has stood this test of time probably is the RE games for mm. me in my you know nostalgia and stuff. So, I obviously said before in a previous podcast that my first Nintendo home console was the GameCube. So, the first time I played Super Metroid, I would wager, maybe there was some sort of sneaky emulation at some point, I don't know. Uh, But the first time I actually sat down in front of a TV to try and really... But the thing about emulation, it's so easy just just to swap and change game that I don't know if I would have put any time into it particularly. But I do remember sitting down and playing it on the Wii. Um, because it's one of those games that, as Sherwin has pointed out, playing it on the 3DS and stuff like that, it is almost kind of synonymous with the virtual console, uh, at least for me, uh, thing that Nintendo have done since the Wii generation. Um, it came out on the Wii Virtual Console in 2007, um, and then the Wii U in 2013. It's been on the 3DS, and now, of course, it's part of Nintendo Switch Online, uh, Nintendo's online paid service. I, I struggle to call it paid. It's so cheap. Uh, but they give you all those SNES games for free as part of that service. And this, of course, is on there. So uh, it's it's just one of those games that I've got on. all. I think pretty much all of those consoles, I've, I've got it every single time. Um, so yeah, the, the first time I would have played it was in my sort of late teens. Um, I went through a period of just kind of disinterest in uh, current gaming landscape and trends a little bit um and sort of thought you know this is a chance to look back on some things so around that time that's kind of when i discovered again castlevania which we've talked about previously mega man i came became a little bit synonymous with for a while and uh yeah probably the metroid games as well um so yeah that would have been the first time i played it and i have uh, yeah similarly it's just one of those games that every few years i'll pick up even just for a little bit um it's just so easy to boot up and and jump straight back down onto the surface and and make your way down. Yes, yeah, it's, it's there's something very timelessly wonderful about it. And we'll we will start to break that down. I guess the first place, the most important place to start is gameplay. Of course, uh, as we genre defining has been the phrase. Um, it's in the genre name as it's known now, the Metroidvania style. Sometimes search and find is what it's called as well. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the core gameplay loop of Metroid? Because you said there something that I think, first of all, what a brilliant selection of games to be playing on rotation on the SNES. But Super Mm -hmm. Metroid is nothing like either of those games. And honestly, of course, you know, it's it's the second sequel. It's the third game in the series. Uh, But there was still, I think, nothing quite like this on home console at the time. The, the closest parallel game I had to it at the time was probably Super Turrican, and that's like a, mm. a run and gunner where you could admittedly you could turn into a ball, but that's about that's about where the similarities really end. 
you know, you shoot in aliens and stuff. This is about exploration. This is about figuring out how to get around the environment, finding your tools, and then, you know, noting down where things are so that, okay, right, I can't get through this yet, but I can come back to it later when I get the right bit of kit. And, you know, obviously once you've beaten the game, then it's about using your skills and the equipment and finding an optimized route as speedrunners tend to do these days. I mean, it's a very well-tread and uh, very heavily trodden territory for speedrunners for mm. the fact that it's a very mechanically focused game and about finding the right tool for the right job or the right, you know, the right trick to get past it. Uh, and in that regard, there's, I don't know, there's something about it. And the fact that the, that the atmosphere, the environments, it all blends together into this, 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 I want to say like dark, twisted adventure, but that sounds very grandiose. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just so different and uh, felt more mature, mm. you know, like less kitschy and cheesy, but the same token, not uh, over the top with it, like Contra or something right. like that, where it's all like big, scary monsters go blah. I mean, there are big, scary monsters that go blah in this game. Don't, don't get me wrong. And Metroids are still terrifying. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's... um. You know, a lot of video games were quite, or have been in the, at the time, sort of quite cartoony and stuff like that, and child-friendly. And even the games like Contra is a great example where it's it's more of a realistic design. You're, you know, playing as soldiers, and but even then, it's still very video gamey, uh, you know, and, and just like a fun pastime. Whereas you're right, this is more mature, this is more serious. Um, it's it's not yeah it's not overly grandiose though is it it's very personal almost and that's kind of what yeah. Sherwin what you said about Resident Evil that's how I always feel I've had people say to me before you know what kind of games do you like and I realise there's a lot of those games where it's just like I just want a a little story that's my own this little isolated adventure there's something very calm even though perhaps Resident Evil being a horror game and Super Metroid you know not being the most friendly environment to wander around in this alien planet that's the point but there's something very nice about that sort of isolation by oneself and just sort of being left to uh to explore and survive Sherwin, what do you think about the main sort of gameplay tenants i mean super metroid to me is Certainly from my experience anyway, and I imagine it's it's not the first if we can look at the ages of various different games, but this is a survival horror game. Mm. Um, certainly if, I mean, if you're looking at the concept of survival horror transcending gen, um, genres, and it can literally turn up wherever it wants to be. You know, you can have a platformer survival horror, you can have a like more traditional Resident Evil approach to survival horror, whatever else. Um, it is a survival horror game in terms of the sense of the thematic of it, and definitely again we'll, we'll land on that I'm sure, and and kind of how it works in terms of going to find, uh, in terms of how it approaches things, and it's exactly the same as what Steve was saying. You you go out, you search for various different tools or different, you know, like replacement armor or whatever that lets you access certain areas, mm. that sort of stuff. There's a whole bunch of backtracking. You are constantly looking at kind of ammunition. You're kind of tracking what your rockets are doing. Your you know your health track and everything else. These are all things which. That's what's in mind as you go through. And what's also really compelling about it, and this is one of the reasons why the sort of thing that drags me into games, it definitely ties into what you're talking about, uh, Sai, which is I always feel like Metroid really, really, really does well this idea that you're on your own. And perhaps I'm getting too much of the theme here, but you are literally this character that 
is just walking around your own. There aren't cutscenes, there aren't allies, there aren't mm. buddies sort of following you around or anything else. You are literally isolated. So it's got this really survivalist kind of feel to it. Um, I mean, in terms of the actual raw gameplay, to answer what you're, where you're coming from with questions, the closest thing... I mean, I, I loved Probotector, contra to uh, to everybody else, <laughs> outside of, I think, the UK, maybe Europe. I'm not sure where Probotector was. I know it was definitely UK. I don't know if we... Uh, it went to Europe that way as well, but I loved that when I was when I was growing up with an absolute passion. I I was hooked on that game, um, and then also, you know, Super Castlevania as well, and mm. Metroid Super Metroid really ran with both of those games. It sort of mashed them both together with a healthy dose of Zelda as well in terms of finding different items and that sort of right. stuff, and it kind of mashed together all of those things to the point where. Young Sherwin, who'd enjoyed all three of those games up until this, kind of found this is the really logical sort of culmination of all of those games. It's like, this is incredible. It's got, like, I feel at the time, like, it's got kind of the uh, the articulate the articulate jumping sort of element to it of what you had with, um, or tactile kind of jumping elements of what you had with Castlevania. It's got the sort of raw kind of just gun down enemies that you have in Probotector. And then it's kind of searching out different items and sort of, you know, feeling smart for kind of overcoming challenges and obstacles that you have in Zelda. Um, with this added element that I wasn't going to realise was really solidified to me until a couple of years later when this game called Resident Evil turned up, of mm -hmm. the thematic that really sort of hooked me into it as well. So it, it just it just basically, for me, I'd actually argue this is one of, I mean, it's not a popular opinion, this is probably one of the better games on the console and the reason why is it because it feels like it just grabs the best elements from so many of those other games mashes them into this incredible package that really just ticks all of the gameplay things there's mm. only one thing about this game which i cannot stand which is the wall jumping that's the only thing that i land on oh. with this game it's gonna be ironic but i actually love the wall jump. <laughs> <laughs> those free green aliens man the amount of times i've spent sitting there looking at those guys uh as i've literally bounced around off the walls trying to bounce from wall to wall to climb up the sort of you know the well that you find yourself dropped into is insane but otherwise that's the only the only thing i can really say about gameplay everything else is really solid feels really really good i'm so i'm so glad you brought it up and not me <laughs> i think the grappling hook is really really fun and that feels um, I know we you sort of said about sort of like culmination of games in the SNES, and that's so true because this is quite late into that console's lifespan, and this felt so good on that console. You know, obviously, as I say, I'm playing it on the Wii and something like that else, but I've never really played a 16-get bit game with sort of swinging mechanics quite like that, where you can go all the way around sometimes, and it just feels really good. But yeah, I I I completely agree. I know it's a minority thing. Uh, get good me etc but i just hate the wall jump i don't like the screw attack either um it's <laughs> the game the sort of <laughs> i don't get the negative quite off the bat but when it gets to that part of the game it really slows down for me i i've never beaten super metroid and part of it is because i hate those mechanics uh, and i just find them a bit of a slog to overcome and sort of understand the timing of the jumps and stuff that's clearly just a me thing and i need to to get over it and get through this damn game because the amount of times I started it and never finished it is uh, embarrassing. But I'm really glad I'm not alone on that one. Uh, Jordan, how do you feel about the main gameplay of Super Metroid and how do you feel about the wall jump since it's uh, a controversial subject, perhaps? 
We'll, we'll get to the wall jumps and maybe get to some some negative points, but um, I mean, uh, you know, once again, in in context, uh, you know, I, I come to this game, you know, with a, a largely kind of like you know fresh eyes um, on on the product. Mm-hmm. Um, while I had played Metroid Zero Mission, which um, I didn't say before, but not only is that a great game, it's a great remake. Um, but it obviously it borrows very heavily from both Fusion and from Super Metroid. Although I guess borrowing from Fusion means that you're borrowing from Super Metroid in a roundabout way, anyway. Right. Um, but it, you know, you know, it's it's weird because um, obviously that intro is so distinct. Um, it, it's an immediate tone setter. But one of the things that always kind of you know sticks out to me is that it comes up with the year that the game was released, 1994, and it's just like it's it's not something I've really paid attention to now. But every time I booted up the game to keep playing, it kept hitting me. It was that actually, you know, 1994. This is not so much a a year as it is a brag, because uh, <laughs> just about everything about this game is ahead of its time. Mm. Um, and I was I was glad I was still able to kind of see that because I have played plenty of Metroidvanias that are. You know, years beyond this, um, and it was it was nice to sort of go back to, uh, you know, what is you know considered sort of you know the apex of the design, and be able to say, oh right, that this is where it all comes from, and be able to kind of experiencing it in in that same kind of fashion, not quite like people would in 1994, but as close as I feel I could get. Um, but it, it it honestly feels like such a, a tight game as far as design um it's it's so strong and that's that's probably why you know Sherwin likes to you know play it when it takes a flight every now and then because it's something if a game fits like a glove in that kind of fashion uh you want to play it it doesn't matter if you're playing the first five minutes it doesn't matter if you're just you know turning it on and playing a stage and then turning turning it back off again you you happy to just jump in at any point and just play around in that world again i mean for me, that analog is probably Super Mario 64 because I can pick that up at any point, and whether I'm messing around with it or whether I'm trying to go for a 120 star run, it feels natural. I don't have to, uh, you know, work my way into those games, or get you know, get used to the controls or anything like that. It it just sits right with me, and that's kind of what, uh, you know, Super Metroid feels like, because. Uh, you know, I thought that it would take me quite a while to kind of get into it. Um, you know, I mean, the original Metroid really made you feel like a rat in a maze. Um, mm. It was it was very hard to, you know, navigate such a sort of a vast space um, at the time. Um, and th- there's not that issue with Super Metroid. That's one of the the, the biggest trends I'd say is that you know, Zeebs, you know, as a, as a place, it's it's memorable, it's diverse. And the best thing is it strives to make no area feel the same. Um, you know, even within uh, the different sections, um, going from screen to screen, there's just, there's a wealth of stuff going on. And hmm. the next time that you go in that room is going to have a completely different context to the first time you went in the room. I, I love that. Um, you know, even, even today, it, it's hard for designers to actually be able to pack in that much um, especially when you're kind of working with sort of quite a restricted space as, as Metroid was, but it's it, it's very uh, it's very compelling because 
at first you just want to want to get to the next stage you want to get to the next part you want to get to the next boss um so it's really smart agency uh from the game design that it, it kind of puts something on the player to think hmm what if I just go back for five minutes? Mm-hmm. You know, what could I what could I find if I just backtrack for just a little bit? You know, I've got some I've got some new abilities now. You know, maybe I'll be able to unlock something. And you go from being somebody who just looks at the background as sort of set dressing to uh, you know, there is a puzzle here for me to figure out. And, you know, it's gonna require one of my abilities or one of my weapons. But at the end of it, I usually get a reward. Um and by the end of the game, you're using the X-ray visor, you know, like it's an occupation. It's just sort of like, <laughs> right, I'm in a new room. Right, let's check to see if there's anything here to take. And um, it was it was doing all of that without me realizing it. It was it, it was causing all of that kind of agency that I hadn't had to be prompted by tutorials. Um, I hadn't had to kind of like see that kind of emblazoned on the box. Um, it was more just sort of, you know, this is. This is because you want to do it. This is because you you strive to kind of get these extra upgrades or find these extra secrets because mm-hmm. no matter which way you go, there's always going to be something of a reward. Um, and I, you know, obviously, it's one of the it's one of the key strengths not only of of this game but of the series uh, as a whole. Um, and uh, I mean, as far as everything else, like the pace, it's really great. Suit upgrades. Um, it always seems to be that you get a suit upgrade or a new weapon right around the time you're just starting to need it. Right around the time yeah. you're just starting to get to rooms where you're saying, hmm, I can almost, I could almost make that that platform. But I just need something else. Um, you know, what do I need? Or you go into a room and it doesn't necessarily seem like it goes anywhere. It's like it will go somewhere. It's just you're not quite ready for it yet. But even though you can get lost, and I did get lost a couple times, um, it never felt like the solution was too far away. Mm-hmm. I think obviously it would be a bit of a sort of a, a failure of the game design if it threw you for a loop and you ended up on the other side of the map and you didn't need to be there. I think you have to be doing something really wrong to to get lost in Super Metroid like hardcore because um, you're usually never too far away from something that you need to be doing anyway. Um, as far as uh, you know, like downsides. I mean, wall jumping. Yeah, um, I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. Um, I mean, to be honest, if you don't encounter the room that sort of teaches you about it, you're either going to learn it by accident or not at all. Um, it's it's a bit of a kind of a weird sort of hidden ability. Hmm. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's the worst thing. It just has a weird rhythm. Um, and unlike the screw attack. Which can is a lot easier to kind of get used to rhythm-wise with enough time. Uh, I'm I'm still not very good at, at wall jumping because if you if you mess it up, especially on kind of like quite a tall shaft that you're trying to climb on, if you mess it up right at the top, you just you don't feel like doing that again. Yeah. Um. But you could tweak that. You. I mean, that's that's quite similar to the wall jumping in Mario 64, where it's it's very precise. Um. And hey, if you're, you're tuned in to that timing, it's perfect. Of course. Um, but, you know, by the time they made Super Mario Sunshine, they needed to refine that wall jump because it was just getting too annoying. They needed something of a window uh, where you could react rather than a kind of a split-second decision. Um, so they, they could tweak something like that. But, 
as far as my biggest sticking point with with Super Metroid, it's it's probably uh, Meridia mm. as as an area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you you just about kind of visit everywhere twice, with you know, uh, with the exception of uh, Turian and uh, the wreck ship. And so you kind of you go you go to Meridia the first time. There's not as much to do. Uh, you're in the the lower segments. By the time you come back through, um, you you need to basically flood, you know, most of the rest of the area, and it leads to a whole lot of screens with quicksand, and mm. uh, it just it just slowed the game down to a crawl for me. Um, luckily, I did a, I did a Google search. And it turns out that a lot of people don't like Meridia for that exact reason. So I guess that's not that controversial. But that was one thing where it's just sort of it was the quick quicksand aspect of it because actually trying to get out of that sand um, is ridiculously tedious, and it seems to go against everything else that the game's got going for it. Because mm. you know speed and you know just sort of smooth progression Control. throughout the stages and worlds. Yeah, the mm. controls are, are fantastic, and then all of a sudden it's like you're just you're mashing A, and for a while you almost feel like you're playing the game wrong. You're like, am I doing it wrong? Is, mm. is there like a secret to getting out of this quicksand that I just don't know? Is yeah, that's fair. Major secret to me. But I it's, tell you what, it, it, it's, it's bizarre that underwater can have quicksand that is so infuriating. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll fully attest that Meridia is like the most like linear, messy, and uh, poorly designed area of the game. It's not terrible. I think it gets better after you're out of the quicksand area. But Mm-hmm. Until then, it's, it's just pain. It's a whole lot more rewarding if you go back to it fully upgraded, and you can screw attack through some of those hallways and stuff yeah. like that, and actually get to the secrets. But yeah, the first time you're kind of going through the the sunken part of Meridia, it, yeah, it's it's it, it just takes a little bit of the shine off, but like not enough to stop me from not going back to that place. In fact, the first time I left it, I was like, right, I'm never going back there. And then it was like, by the time I got to sort of the 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 statue. Uh, that leads to Torian, kind of like, yeah, maybe I'll go back for, you know, just like a missile upgrade or two. You know, what's the what's the harm? So it says something about how much I enjoyed this game that, um, one, it wasn't seen as a kind of like a massive uh, detour to kind of mm. backtrack and get a couple of extra uh, bits, but also I was ready to go back to an area that I previously had maligned, um, because I felt that, well, actually, I, I can handle it a lot better now. Not because I've necessarily kind of grown as a player and I've figured out quicksand, but just because I'm more powerful as Samus. Hmm. Yeah, well, I suppose it's not breaking news to say water level is slow, is it? That's It's a shame that Super Metroid couldn't avoid that trap, unfortunately. I, I agree, it's, it's the weakest area. Um, it's interesting. I, I think you even... I mean, yeah, Obviously, it's it's Metroid, so you gain access to things in different ways and so on. But even the way you actually... I don't know about you guys. The way I first got into that, I remember, is obviously using the super bomb to blow up the uh, the tunnel that you're in. Mm-hmm. Like, even that isn't obvious in any way, shape, or form. Like, I remember running around for ages trying to work out how to, how to progress, and then just on a whim going, I wonder if I could blow up this, but there's nothing in the game that tells you. Yeah. Nothing else like that, though, where you can actually do anything like that and interact with your scenery, with the terrain in a similar sort of way. Um, so even that isn't immediately obvious. But I, 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 don't, dis- I don't dislike that as quite as much as the rest of you guys. I think um, I can see why it's frustrating. 
I can absolutely see why why it's frustrating. But as a person who grew up with a lot of jumping puzzle type games, that didn't feel so bad. It's pure the jump puzzle. When I'm talking about the wall jump, the the reason why that's so frustrating is because the it's only that one moment exactly as you said. Um, it's literally that one thing where you're bouncing off the walls, uh, where the three aliens are down the bottom. Outside of that long shaft that you have to climb out of, you don't ever really use it ever mm. otherwise, unless you're kind of speed running or whatever else. It's just not needed. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's the thing for me. Like at, at the time where we'd all grown up with kind of jumping puzzle games, and that was very much the genre, I, I think it wasn't quite so bad. Whereas obviously, game evolution design has moved on since then. And that might be something to do with it. Hmm. Yeah, I love all these secret moves, though. Like the wall jumping and the bomb jumping and technically like the shine spark. Yeah. You know, they all allow to do sequence breaking and stuff. So, you know, there is a there is pretty much a, a defined route in which you can play the game. You go like you go down to old Brinstar, go back through Criteria, go through uh, regular Brinstar, down to Norfair, back up, kill Kraid, and so on. But um, with, when you can use these tools and, uh, you know, if you can master them, it allows you to get around the game in non-glitchy but fully viable ways. I mean, there's, there's plenty of glitches for this game. You know, you watch uh, Summer Games Done Quick or something like that, they, they tear it apart. But the fact that you can, you know, maneuver around certain environment traps and, like, say, get beams or boots or a suit upgrade early, I think... It, the fact that there is a skill ceiling there for higher level play, but not necessarily the most accessible, isn't terrible. But at the same time, uh, the same token, uh, it probably could be more encouraged. I think the tutorial for the wall jumping is absolutely garbage. Um, I will fully attest to that. Uh, I, I think the main trick to it for me personally, this is just purely to try and educate the people in the room, is that when you jump Samus against a wall in a, a somersault fashion, you then have to quickly pivot the D-pad in the opposite direction and wait for an animation frame as Samus looks basically a unique frame that you don't mm. see anywhere else and then keep doing that to get up a long shaft. It's tedious for a first-time player. Once you learn it, it's great. But until then, it's just agony. And I think that's why my compatriots struggle with it. So mm. I'm going to engage smug mode. <laughs> I saw, I saw, I saw like the, the sprite for like a split second. I was like, oh. And then yeah. it was, it eventually I figured out, well, okay, I'll keep jumping, and then if I see that sprite again, I'll try some kind of button combination. That's how I figured it out, because, yeah, the, the, you know, some of those abilities, you're only learning in certain rooms, and it's non-verbal. It's like, it's just, okay, watch these little creatures, they're going to do it for you, they're going to show you how to do it, and, you know, good luck. Yeah. Um, but it's even then it's obviously it's a, it's still tricky. But I will say, you know, as somebody who was playing it for the first time, it didn't really didn't really impede me. Um, it was it was obviously it was something that would be better to have as a sort of like a natural uh, ability. Um, you, you know where you know maybe you're just sort of pressing A as soon as you kind of hit the wall and you're just kind of getting it in a time sequence to bounce back and forth between them. Yeah, something like that. But it's it's obviously it's a very specific, um, you know, ability with a very specific window of time to be able to pull it off. Um, but thankfully, late game upgrades kind of make it um, redundant anyway. Hmm. I think. Did it... you um, not to sidetrack further? But did uh, you guys watch the rolling demos that usually play when it shows like the other secret moves, like the bomb jumping and the shine spark? And I can't remember the name of it, but the one where Samus breaks a suit, fully heals herself, and then reassembles the suit. Uh, no, I didn't know that was a oh, thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's a full restore kind of thing she can do. Uh, involves power bombs and the ammo and some of that. Oh, I think I have heard of that, yeah. Wow. 
See, that's cool. I, you know, as much as maybe my issue with the timing and stuff with the wall jump personally, I do love that there's like a huge variation of visible sort of stuff you can do and stuff that you discover yourself along the way. Like, uh, as Sharon was saying, that, that glass tube that you have to smash. Uh, yeah, sure, okay, you're you're breaking parts of the environment in other rooms, but there's nothing to make you think, oh, I can break this glass. But it is pretty cool to think, you know, especially pre-internet days, uh, discovering that moment for yourself or hearing about that moment where you, yeah, you, you super bomb, you power bomb the glass and it shatters. That's like a, a mind-blowing video game moment when you realise you can do that. And same thing with the wall jump when you see that sprite and you go, oh, okay, there's... There's something here that I'm not getting and figuring it out. That's pretty cool uh, that those sort of things are tucked away in there. Um, and as, as Jordan said, you know, the sort of willingness to go and explore further and yeah, unlock the little puzzles of each room and find all the little extra missiles and energy tanks and stuff like that, which is obviously going to change your experience overall. It's just part, some of these things are just part and parcel with sort of like the series and the genre now, of course. But, you know, you, you can make this game as, as hard or as easy as you like, depending on how much time you're willing to, well, how much patience you're willing to have, I suppose. How slowly you're willing to go to seek out every uh, last missile upgrade and, and every energy tank to make yourself uh, a bit more of a formidable foe. Or, of course, um, you can run straight through it, as I'm sure many pro players do. We talked about speed runs. This is you know a perfect game for it an early game for speed runnings uh kind of uh, and mechanical play and stuff like that and even just the surface stuff it's so passe to say you know you feel like you're getting stronger over the game but it feels so rewarding and as jordan said it's so well timed to see an obstacle you can't overcome go another way few rooms let you get the new ability and then you can backtrack and have that eureka moment of how it works and how you get across there you know and and usually a lot of these ones that are embedded in uh, permanent upgrades are very visible so like the changes to samus's suit color so she can go down into norfair or uh, through water easier you know you immediately recognize that because her suit has changed color uh, the blaster produces a different kind of firing uh, sprites and stuff so you understand that something's uh, different there just it's immediately obvious stuff like that that makes you feel like i'm making progress uh, over what amounts to somewhere between a three and a six and maybe even a 10 hour game, depending on on how long you're willing to put into it. I think that also what I wanted to say was, it, I'm glad that we sort of, we talked a little bit about Metroid 1 uh, and showing and sort of, you said your early experiences of it being, you know, really, really hard uh, with a lack of a map and stuff like that. Um, and Metroid 2 on the Game Boy, we haven't really talked about it, but... It's on a Game Boy, so of course it's quite restricted by the hardware. Um, I This game is one of those games, because it's a classic, you always get the, does it need a remake debate? Um, and I see, with this conversation specifically about Super Metroid, more people, perhaps more than any other game, say, nope, it doesn't need a remake, it's, it's aged perfectly, even the blemishes, it's fine, we can deal with it. Uh, you don't need to remake this, you might mess it up, let's just not bother. You know, Metroid One and Two, they needed modernising. They would, they their remakes have been done really well. Uh, Super Metroid is twenty five years old and it's still just a joy to play. Uh, even all my little issues aside, uh, you feel how sharply the series is, you know, refined to a point here. This is like uh, the magnum opus of 
And it's so early into that kind of play style, really. This is before Castlevania sort of rebooted itself. Uh, and and then from there, of course, the genre has exploded, especially in the last sort of like 10 years, of course. So, you know, without how solid Super Metroid is in 1994, you know, the brag, and today still, you don't get Castlevania reinventing itself and you don't get, you know, modern day indie classics in, like Ori and the Blind Forest and, you know, Hollow Knight and stuff like that. Uh, Super Metroid is is the reason for all of these things, of course. So let's uh, let's move on a little bit. Now we want to talk about atmosphere and stuff like that. Um, usually with aesthetics, we start with visual and then go to audio. But I think we should start with audio uh, this time around. Um, I'll leave my. I'll sit back for this one. I mean, I will just say I think it's one of the all-time great soundtracks uh, in video gaming. If if you had to absolutely list all of them, uh, this is immediately goes on the on the pile to discuss what the the great legendary soundtracks of video games are. Uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about the the soundtrack and the atmosphere that it produces? I knew you picked me first. Um, (laughs) You're welcome. um, Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, I mean, from the menu screen onwards, this Mm. game has such an incredible statement of intent about it. Um, Just obviously the the very uh, much... I mean, I almost said legendary. I'm going to stick with it, having thought about it for half a second. Like the legendary kind of Metroid menu screen opening, um, just in terms of the actual, just just the opening notes. It's so mm. morose and so kind of it just rips tension. And that's that's your opening part of this game. You're like, wow, what is this game? Like I'm trapped. Like it really gives you the sense of I am isolated in the middle on my own in space somewhere. I have no idea where I am. It's just so desolate as a soundscape. And then obviously as soon as you start off, you first thing you're kind of wandering very eerie, like, you know, through the through the station and so on. Um and then you kind of have the appropriate kind of driving for when the uh, self explosion thing happens. And then even when you first land, like, you know, when you okay, we're going that, that back down to the planet now. It is just so eerie walking around and the visuals we'll get onto, but the sound is just perfect for what that is. And then even once you actually start turning on systems and the whole thing sort of really fires up, it's got this really amazing kind of feel of... It's kind of perfectly... It's slightly upbeat, but enough to kind of give you a characteristic sense for what each location is. Yeah. And it also feels like it's just upbeat enough to kind of keep people with shorter attention spans kind of looped in, but not so much that someone who's really there for that sort of isolationist or that kind of um, desolate kind of feels that doesn't ever truly quite go away. Like you might be running through Brinstar and it's quite, you know, and the sound's quite upbeat or whatever else. You turn a corner and suddenly now you're in Norfair or whatever and suddenly now it's like, okay, am I like in some old generator or something? Like the music's pulsing at me or something. Mm. I'm matching the visuals, kind of. I feel like I'm in a distinctly different area and it feels that. And of course, even Meridia, which is very, very Resident Evil guardhouse. Um, yeah. In, in terms of how that sounds, it's just a really, it's a really, really, really well put together soundtrack. Um, and exactly as you've said, it's one of those ones that just stands the test of time. I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything on it that you could really look at and go, that feels odd, or that feels out of place. Mm. The closest I guess you're going to go to that, and I don't think it's out of place in the slightest, is probably like the main control room kind of. Um, 
sound where you have the more sort of electronic kind of beeping mm. sort of elements to it but that just feels like you're wandering around through ancient tech and there's sort of random systems working away still or something like that right. that just feels like it's you know as effectively your safe room sound that's a that's a nice kind of break or a palette cleanser before you go into a new area mm-hmm. uh, and it's perfectly chosen that that can kind of gently fade off into whatever that new area is so yeah I, I've just I, I can't really add anything to it other than just to nod and say at any one point it does exactly what it, it's an it's an early one actually it's an early one for the uh, for that era where game soundtracks started to be increasingly important because graphics and and kind of other elements weren't quite there to complete your immersion so the soundtrack had to do a lot of a lot of heavy lifting mm-hmm. and i think it's it's an early outlier for that stuff but it does it so well that it's a brilliant accompaniment that really draws you in but doesn't ever distract you from what the gameplay is um, and I think that's probably its biggest achievement. Yes, absolutely. That uh, that piece that you're talking about that plays in sort of like the item rooms and the elevator and stuff is it's almost like a transitional piece of music between areas. As you, palette cleanser is a great way to put it. And you're right because it serves the environment so well. Um, it's not just music for music's sake. It really just sort of it, it informs you more about the location that you're standing in, stuff like that. So that's, it's wonderful. Um Meridia's theme I actually had down as it's pretty underrated you know everyone knows sort of the big belters the main theme the Brinstar stuff um but yeah I think stuff like Meridia gets overlooked in terms of sort of its uh, ambient quality and stuff like that um Steve how do you feel about the soundtrack for Super Metroid uh I think it's already really been said but it's fantastic uh and it's able to set a tone I'd, I'd argue there's a there's a few clunkers I'd argue the uh the quote-unquote big kaiju monster boss theme for Kraid and Crocomire can go do one. It's just bah, 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 bah. it's not not fun to listen to at all. But um, but generally, it feels almost like because the world's interconnected, you can go anywhere you want. It it's kind of like a audio cue to Samus's mindset in mm. my eyes. Um, except for maybe Green Bridge Star, which just feels for some reason like you know funky beats and tribal drums, which then descends into very ominous tones when you get to Red Bridge Star and onward. Um, yeah, I uh, I have no real complaints. I would argue it's it still gets the odd play now and then on Steve's like you know listening to game music stuff. And uh, Wrecked Ship is probably the weakest. I think uh, if I remember, that's just a low bumping like hole right. when it activates mm-hmm. uh, with like a few little weird weird beeps to it. But uh, Meridia is very much like could be a Resident Evil guardhouse, like Sherwood said. It's a haunting little place. Torian. I can't remember if that has a soundtrack until it kicks off. Is it just like... It's, yeah, just... it's more like ambient noise. Mm. Kind of like a low rumbling, if I remember rightly. Mm. So the, the standouts to me are like, you know, Lower North Fair, Red Star, the the Overture theme when you return to Criteria and it's gone from this like weird spooky music to now like, you know, Samus is ready to kick some bum. So it's all like... Bah, 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 oh, with like, with overtures and... All the, also, all those cool bits and words Steve doesn't truly understand, but it's basically saying it's rate good. Um, I'd say the so, sound... So quickly, just, just quickly, so we're not good on a bar-bar-bar-bar, but we're good on bar-bar-bar-bar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm a walking mass of complex. <laughs> but I wanted to just touch on the sound design itself outside of the music, though, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of strength to the little creatures and the chips and stuff that they make and the, and the sound of the guns. Uh, you know, everything feels dis- decidedly uh, high-tech and sci-fi. 
that you, you just you, everything else feels kind of like and on sci-fi shooters in general on the snares they feel almost kitschy and uh, b-movie in comparison although in this there's something just very i don't know what you'd put it like it, very punchy very uh, accurate to the tone of the game yeah the only th- it's hard to describe it's weird whoever you know did all the sound design for this game clearly had a very clear intent of what they they were doing and that's why it all feels so well wrapped together because they knew exactly what they were looking at exactly what they wanted to hear you're right not not only does for me okay yeah you know some choices maybe you're not a fan of the particular songs but nothing stands out as this doesn't feel like it feels you know separate from the rest of the soundtrack everything feels like it fits together and that goes for the sound effects as well absolutely it all wraps together wonderfully yeah that's uh that samus appearance when you load the game up that used to be my text tone to be honest even little things like that are just that sort of like warm synth it's just i said in it's like four notes, but it's <laughs> it's four notes, but it's so good. I don't understand. I was just in, in terms of just dialing back to my first experiences that still affects us this day. Although now I listen to it with a kind of twisted enjoyment. The opening title theme is still nightmare fuel, like yeah. compared to any other Metroid game since. Uh, it's uh, amazing. You should listen to it, preferably for ten hours on loop. <laughs> I'm sure YouTube will be able to help you out with that one. <laughs> Uh, Jordan, how did you feel about the Super Metroid soundtrack? I don't. Actually, is it another one for you specifically? I guess is um, how much of it were you aware of? Because as we said, it's a very it's a classic soundtrack. It shows up in you know various YouTube videos and stuff all the time. I'm sure. Um, so was it weird to perhaps hear it in context, or, or what was your what was it like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it, it. Various tracks from Super Metroid have not only shown up in you know, media, popular remixes, um, obviously within the Metroid series as remixes. Mm. Um, and then, uh, you know, probably my greatest sort of exposure to Metroid music remains Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, thought you um, might say that, yeah. There's, yeah, there's some, some incredible arrangements um, that either put a different spin or tone on, on those songs or just you know, do the 16-bit themes justice with a with a full orchestra or something like that. Um, so obviously they 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 stand up. You know, the music as a whole stands up. I mean, I think this is, you know, fair to say that it's an iconic soundtrack by Kenji Yamamoto. Um, it it's it's interesting because it's kind of as far as the music, it's it's a bit of a sort of a, a game of two halves because. Uh, the, the main themes and some of the character themes are more cinematic. Uh, they're more sort of conventional, you know, sound more like they're uh, evoking something from a film, like a, you know, James Cameron or Ridley Scott film, you know, of the, the previous decade, uh, uh, you know, back in 1994. Um, and it kind of, it sets you up just right. Um, you, you feel like you're really sitting down for something quite epic when you, you, first hear that theme of Samus and you know you've got the synth starting and you you know you're kind of you're you're getting into some science fiction but also a bit of horror as well um there's a bit of valiant action in there too yeah all, all of those different aspects of the game are being kind of um you know sort of summed summed up with this you know wonderful sort of opening song but as far as the actual soundtrack uh for the, for the game in general, for like the for the worlds and stuff, obviously, you know when you're going from area to area, um, there's really not that much melody. 
you look at the original Metroid, um, a lot of those songs were more sort of melodic. You mm. could probably hum them, you know, play, you know, play them, and um, obviously that 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 worked fine for for Metroid. They needed they needed sort of like a, a very short loop, um, and and sort of get across something, and it was kind of hard to maybe, you know, get the sort of atmosphere that they necessarily wanted back on eight bit. Sixteen bits, a completely different game, and um, you know this soundtrack no matter where you are in the world it's you know it's got a real mix of sort of minimalism it's atmospheric it often the music actually kind of feels a bit diegetic it often feels like it's more pulling stuff from the actual backdrop of wherever you are hmm. than actually relying on any kind of conventional instruments despite that despite the fact that it is quite abstract despite the fact that there's not that much melody it's still very um memorable which is quite hard to do uh, you know if you if you are going for something that's an abstract soundtrack that really is is doing the narrative work um rather than simply being you know music to kind of add to the presentation um you know i mean i think the the sound design does a lot within its limits to really kind of put across the the size and nature of, of each different area mm-hmm. so that you know when you when you do make the drop um, you know, through through Brinster for the first time, it really just does feel cavernous. You know, once you get into sort of like the uh, Brinstar Underground, which is one of my favorite tracks from the soundtrack, uh, you know, all of a sudden um, you kind of feel that sort of distance in the music. That itself makes the the world feel more cavernous, and I think it's obviously changed that uh, drastically in terms of the presentation, the visuals. Because you know, it's just another screen. But it kind of sets you in a different place and says you are you are quite far away from your ship now, and you're mm. going in a completely uh, new new direction, and you don't exactly know where you're going to be led led to. Um, and obviously, it it does a lot of the sort of heavy lifting with regards to the, to the narrative because there's nothing really kind of verbal in the game, um, and you know apart from a few sort of uh, story moments, you know sort of you know, almost quasi sort of cutscenes, uh, it has to kind of tell you the stories about these worlds. Um, that's it. I, and I say worlds, I obviously mean areas. Sure. Um, but, go, but going between the different areas and um, immediately getting the sense of, you know, what's going on there. They're like the first, one of the first boss fights in, in Brinstar, you know, kind of like has that, you know, sort of creepy sort of thriller um theme to it where mm. um you know it feels like a bit of an infestation and in, you know obviously feels like a little bit of a nod to to alien uh, you know as a, as a film franchise and then you get to places like the wreck ship where you know it just it feels haunted it feels abandoned and you know you're almost like i i know i'm not going to find anything like living um in 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 any of these halls and that gets across in the music. You you immediately feel that you're in a different place. And obviously that's the music doing its job. But it's doing such a good job within the limits of the hardware. Um, it's different now. Because, it, you know, if you're making a game now, you can have so much actual, you know, readily sourced uh, sound effects and, and foley effects and uh, music to actually kind of hammer any kind of atmosphere um, with one-to-one realism. And... Super Metroid obviously couldn't do that, um, but what it does instead, um, 
is is really effective. It's it's one of the strongest points of of Super Metroid mm-hmm. that lasts after you play it because you're still thinking about that music. You're still thinking about what you were doing on each of those screens um, when that music kicks in, especially when you get a new theme kick in and you suddenly it, it, it's a complete tonal shift. And yeah, it's it's really strong. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a soundtrack that I often listen to. Um, or, you know, just Metroid in general um, in isolation while I'm doing something else or the hundreds of uh, covers and remixes and, and stuff like that that are out there. Shout out to my boys in Metroid Metal uh, who have made oh, yes. yeah, two and a bit albums just out of Metroid you know, music, which is incredible. Uh, there's something about... I, I Again, not having grown up with a Super Nintendo... Um, I'll always kind of lean a little bit towards the sort of like the funky bass of the Mega Drive sound chip, but I will say sort of this sort of late era of the Super Nintendo has some incredible soundtracks. You know, I think of Donkey Kong Country and what, you know, uh, they got out of that sound chip is obviously completely different um, for the most part from Super Metroid, but it's incredible, you know, just showing how deep um, that, that sound chip could go, this sort of producing this lush and moody soundtrack yeah it's oh it's fantastic absolutely one of the high points of obviously what is a fantastic game Now you down for the count. Now you down for the count. Oh, 
only so many times I can say nobody had quite done anything like this before. <laughs> but it's true, and it's kind of true of the visuals as well as we move on. I'm just going to quickly get mine out of the way. Um, the little, It's the little things for me in the visuals I love um, that make each environment special. You know, you've got your fire level and your water level, of course, but just stuff like the f flora and fauna just kind of in the background as part of the locations you know really do make it feel like an actual alien planet with stuff like that wandering around it's not just all dank hallways and stuff like that um and of course the variation therein with actual uh the ship you know the, the wreck shipped hallways and, and stuff like that as well as the outside and the underground areas um and the the one thing that i just love every time i, I just Every time I play this game, I'll just sit for a little while and watch Samus move. Uh, just Rather than just a static sprite or anything like that, just the way you can see her breathing because the sprite changes colour and it just so identifiably her sort of shoulders moving back and forth as she sort of breathes. It's like, that's a brilliant, just a brilliant, brilliant little touch. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the visual presentation of Super Metroid? I've been totally uh, non-biased and fair-handed <laughs> this entire time. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fantastic, I'd say. Um, the the level of detail, as size pointed out, is astounding, especially for a, a mid to late era SNES game. Um, I personally am a big fan of the distortion effects and the way they use Mode Seven, but in an obnox in a non obnoxious way. Mm. Uh, they use it mostly for like Ridley popping out of the screen, the ship leaving. Uh, I, I believe it may be part of the grappling hook. Uh, don't quote me on that though. Okay. I am not. You know, I'm sure there's some texture warping malarkey going on that allows Samus to move that way. Mm -hmm. But uh, most things have a, uh, a significant amount of detail to them. Even the um, even the retread area, the the starting area where you go back to old Brinstar, uh, looks nothing like it did on the NES. Mm. Uh, I, I think it, it one of my things that I really do enjoy most is when it bleeds over from one area to another. Like uh, if there's any hints or an indication that you're about to go into an area that's particularly uh, unnerving or dangerous, there's normally some parts of the environment to show you're going to be transitioning into a section. Uh, for example, the easiest one's the wrecked ship. You see like half of it protruding before you even get near it. Yeah. Um, there's a few rooms in Norfair that are like fully like made out of organic flesh bubbles and they bleed in from the previous room. And then when you're in that room, uh, they aren't they aren't filled with eyes looking at you, but you could be mistaken for believing they are. Uh, every area is distinct. Uh, much uh, as is like I would say, as was the style at the time for the era. You know, each each world, as uh, people have called it, uh, is distinct and unique. But they all, they all fit. They all feel like they're from the same game in the same world. They don't like nothing jarringly sticks out. Mm -hmm. You know, even the opening ship on um sears space station or sarah's i don't know how you pronounce it zeb 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 biscuits whatever they, it all feels consistent with the tone it's trying to set i would argue maybe it's a little dark sometimes you know meridia especially yeah, that falls into the it's there are green rocks and it's bland maybe but everywhere else is, is fairly strong um Craid's lair is a standout for me because you've got mm. like a dead husk of what I, I assume is like some larval progenitor form of something, if not Kraid, that you have to crawl through before you even enter the place. It's, it's, it's unnerving. Yeah, it's a fun time. Definitely. Yeah, I have to agree with all of that. Um, Jordan, how did you find the visuals of the game off of the back of your previous Metroid experiences? 
Uh, well, I mean, the you know, as as a comparison to obviously the the Game Boy Advance games, uh, there's been certain advancements that have been made, no pun intended. But you know, still, just um, this is this is what kicked it all off. This is the, this is the game that kind of prompted all of that design, and you know, still does not just for Metroid, but for for a lot of games. Um, I mean, I th- I think as as far as visual goes, it's it's just about perfect. Um, mm. uh, the, the the sprite work is detailed be beyond requirement to be quite honest there's there's certain aspects where it's just kind of like you didn't need to do that but we really appreciate you you know just putting like you know little critters here and there that might scurry off or like you know uh samus's visor lighting up at moments and stuff little things that you could completely miss and are not important but are, are added there because um it, it, you, they they obviously invested a lot to the actual um they invested a lot to the actual presentation um, of everything, not just from every area, but the the sprite work itself, and um, to make it feel um, like a living, breathing world. Even if you are going through, a, you know, a haunted, wrecked ship um, where there's nothing living or breathing, um, but uh, things like the, the the color palette and the lighting from room to room, it's it's constantly setting a mood and a tone, um, and it feels very purposeful and it's using a full palette um you, we, we, obviously we said before meridia does you know kind of mute itself more compared to some of the other worlds but you know it still stands out as great presentation the uh the ui is very clean um i mean just about everything that you need including a mini map is right there on the top of the bar and while that had not necessarily been any kind of new revolution. I mean, there were plenty of games that had most of their information on the top bar of the screen mm-hmm. since the 80s, but it still works. Um, and it, it works perfectly fine to kind of have all of that at a glance. Um, you, you know, you can go into the pause menu and have a look at, you know, exactly what you've got at sorry, suit upgrades, but you don't really need to. Everything else is pretty much communicated to you through the screen that you're sitting on during gameplay, right? Um, and yeah, there's, uh, the obviously the other big strength is uh, that the fact that there's so much storytelling that goes on through these rooms. You, uh, it's 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 much like the audio. It's having to kind of have the task of uh, telling you a story as you explore, without stopping you, without necessarily kind of having you know major cutscenes or whatever. And um, it it does it so effectively because often it makes you question what's happened here. Um, you kind of feel like you're often uh, exploring an area, and you know even with enemies, you kind of feel like you're kind of exploring sort of the bones of an area, hmm. trying to figure out what's happened here, what's going on, and typically it ends up leading you to the answer, which is usually like a boss. Um, or you know a new segment uh, that you can unlock and you know progress and stuff. There's just there's just so much going on that you can really uh, you know take some time to kind of uh, soak in each screen uh, and see what's been put into it. And uh, you know I hope I'm not like kind of overegging that there. It's just I really think for especially for a 16-bit game, the the level of detail that this had in 1994 uh, is superb. And I, I think it, you know, it ended up setting a kind of a standard uh, for a lot of the games of the late '90s, uh, to, you know, to follow up on, especially you know, 2D ones, um, to try and achieve mm. that, so that you feel like you have a world that 
is instantly recognizable and memorable and something where uh, if you're if you're then idly exploring you say hey I know this place I know the way this leads um, it, it's it's a, a complete success in that in that fashion mm-hmm. and um, yeah it, it looks it, it still looks fantastic I mean as far as kind of like you know we the question of whether this, you know, could do with a remake. I'm going to say it needs a remake because I don't think it needs a remake. But as far as kind of the visuals, I think even just kind of like, uh, you know, up, upscaling the the resolution, um, it's, it still gets away with looking fantastic because just about every piece of pixel art is exceptional. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, uh, I, I've, I mean, I already kind of said perfect visuals, so I, I really don't really have any <laughs> negative points. It's just perfect. Yeah, started on a big thumbs up, ended on a big thumbs up with that one. Um, Showin, how do you feel about the visuals? Are we all across the board happy with this? Yeah, I think for me, there's a, there's a few things. I mean, obviously, coming at the tail end, I, I'm not really going to. Uh, I can't really. A lot of what I might think has already been said. To be truthful, I'll just sort of tag on to the end of it. There's so much really smart, uh, clever storytelling which isn't even uh, the focus of the main story arc. Like, for example, if we talk about uh, where you find the sort of you know the shell of Kraid or whatever else or anything along those lines, right before you get to there, you find like another bounty hunter with like a bunch of amoeba kind of like drift off of it or whatever else, mm. and you realize okay, there's a corpse of like somebody else. It doesn't need to be explained who that might be. Like that's just a that's just a corpse that you find like propped up against the wall, and you're like, okay, so I'm, I'm, you know, it kind of immediately gives the player this sense of others have come before me and failed, or this is a dangerous area, or right. whatever else. Like right at the start of the game, where you kind of wandering around after you first get on the planet, and the sort of statues kind of they turn to face you as you come down the lift, for example, and watch you, and then as you move around, they kind of their heads follow, their eyes kind of stop and follow you. Really subtle things, which kind of you might even miss. Um, but they kind of make you aware of. They kind of make you aware of. It's, it's really subtle little bits of storytelling that add to the theme and the flavor, and kind of make you feel like really, this has got a lot more depth in it than simply just I'm following the main story beats or whatever else. It's more suggestive things that kind of help to kind of attenuate the sort of mood or the feel that they're going for. Stuff like that is really smart. Um, and yeah, it's obviously a lot of. Every single, I mean, every single sort of sub area of of Super Metroid, when you're going through, let's you know, pick a location of your choice, really, feels distinct. Like if you're looking for a landmark, if you're trying to find your way through, you can almost navigate by the visuals of the surrounding area you're in. Like you can go, okay, so as I said, this is like the this is the green area of like um, of Brinstar or whatever else. I'm running through that. This is like uh, when I get a bit deeper in, mm. and it kind of looks slightly different to this or whatever else. All of that stuff, it could be really easy for it to just kind of meld into itself, but somehow it manages to achieve through the visuals this idea that you are that they are distinct areas, distinct rooms. Someone could literally walk straight into a room and immediately go, "I've been here before," or "This is familiar mm. to me," or whatever else. Like maybe I'm coming at it from a different angle or whatever else. Really smart in terms of how they've put that together, but it's not. They've obviously put a lot of thought in terms of how to actually represent that stuff, but at the same time, it feels again seamless like the rest of the game. It doesn't feel like it's a, it was a challenging thing to achieve. It doesn't feel like it's something where you look at it and go, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how you guys, you know, like this is really forced. It just feels quite, quite natural. Um, and 
that sort of flows and it doesn't disrupt the experience much like the music it doesn't it isn't something where you realize um this feels really jarring it, it just sort of naturally ebbs and flows so yeah i i can't basically i'm just bowing on to the end of what everyone said but i think for me that the interesting point with it is should it be remade is absolutely um and the reason why is i mean this is a this is a game that kind of hit a point for when it came to kind of this 2D kind of side-scroller platformer kind of build. And games are now going back to that to try and use that as like a as like a sort of enshrined way of this is how a really good game with that mm. sort of retro, what is now a retro style kind of feel looks like. If that's the case, like any remake you're producing really has to, like it has to kind of prove its worth by, by replicating this experience. And if it can't replicate this experience and better it, and all the stuff we've said so far is to the point where that's a really tall order, I wouldn't want to go remake it. I wouldn't want to try and touch that because that's just that's going to be very, very challenging to achieve and not kind of feel like you fell short in some way, shape, or form because Metroid smashes everything other than wall jumps out of the park. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I almost kind of feel that hesitance uh, for them to do anything like that because... I um, mean, this is kind of like a whole separate conversation, perhaps. But obviously, Metroid is a series that doesn't have too many entries. You know, as we just said, it's been absolutely years since uh, Metroid Four, quote unquote, Metroid Fusion. Um, now we're getting a new game. It would have been very easy to throw more remakes in there to tie it over, like Zero Mission and Samus Returns. Um, but I do sort of feel some internal hesitance in the same way that classics like Link to the Past, sure, it got a sequel, but it didn't get a remake. Uh, it's probably in the same sort of thing where it's like, yeah, there are things you could tighten up here and there, but do you really want the responsibility of handling uh, a remake of such a classic game? You guys... I, I, oh, sorry, go on, Steve. I, I just want to chime in on the remake discussion in that this game feels more like a framework uh, that has been retrod on, like through Zero Mission, and in some ways through Metroid Prime. It feels like we've almost had the spiritual remake just without the, the full narrative in the transition. Right. Uh, I, you know, to me, it seems needless. Like, mm -hmm. in the same way, you wouldn't have someone go around and say, let's remake Mario Brothers 2, except they did on the Super super you know the super All-Stars game thing. Oh, but we'll yeah. ignore that for the sake of my point, because <laughs> that was a texture upgrade. You know, yeah. that's what you'd really get. You'd get a texture upgrade, and... That'd be it, and and the graphics are fine, you know. The sound is fine. I get that. I, I have zero issues with it, even today. Like what, a million billion years since released, mm -hmm. uh, it, it feels like, unlike Resident Evil One to the first game's remake, they did a lot with it and tied it up. Super Metroid, the the parts that you tune up don't need to be. Just put it into a new game. Yeah, it's so true. Maybe my choice of Link to the Past there, perhaps not the best thing. Maybe, you know. Ocarina of Time would be a great example, a game that lots of people love, um, but arguably it doesn't need a remake because it is a framework for so many games that are built upon it and tried new things, and by extension Ocarina of Time does feel a little bit like if you just, you have you would have to make it one-to-one -one because you would upset everyone otherwise, but then it's kind of like, well, other games have come since and done more with the formula, and that's you know, since Super Metroid, in terms of 2D Metroid, we have ha only had Fusion and we're about to have Dread. And, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit at the end. Uh, so maybe that doesn't completely work. But it's it's a similar kind of situation. Um, you guys were talking about storytelling and visuals. There isn't a whole lot on this point, but I will just sort of open the floor in terms of, you know, the story uh, for Super Metroid and, and sort of uh, 
how it fits in with the series. Obviously, this is the follow-up to Metroid 2, which, spoiler alerts for a very old Game Boy game, uh, Metroid 2 ends with Samus leaving the Metroid home world with the... Well, in fact, Super Metroid opens with it. You know, the galaxy is at peace. Uh, the last Metroid is in captivity. So Samus takes that to the Sarah station, as we talked about. Uh, and just as she leaves, she gets a distress call, comes back. Everybody's dead. And her arch nemesis Ridley has taken the final Metroid uh, back to planet Zebus. Zeeds, I think it's Zebus, actually. Um, and then Samus, yeah, lands on the planet and begins her exploration down into the depths. Um, really, you know, there, there's no, as we've said over the course of this podcast, there's no dialogue in this game aside from, you know, a bunch of text at the beginning. Um, it's, I think that if you've played the previous games and you know the story, I think that it's a, a great logical continuation. Um, it's an impactful progression of the story uh, and, and stuff like that. You know, you get to return to the planet from Metroid 1. You get to... Expand upon the relationship between Samus and the baby Metroid as well. Uh, it was all done with no dialogue. Uh, in, instead, it's all done with emotion and atmosphere, you know, and the emotion that you feel through that atmosphere. Uh, the story is not the focus, though. I think obviously the gameplay comes first. It's more about the journey. Um, but yeah, you know, the, I guess the big thing is that statue of the bosses, which is. Boss in every corner, go beat them is a pretty standard video game trope. But I love that Super Metroid, you know, lets you see that statue and lets you see them crumble one by one if you keep revisiting it. Um, it, it tells you this so that you can click in your head and you can go, right, okay, I see what I'm doing now. And then obviously beyond that, you feel like, okay, I'm in the end game now. Um, so I'm going to open the floor up. I'm not going to pick anyone in particular, but does anyone have any thoughts on perhaps the story of Super Metroid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as far as the story, yeah, it is it is pretty pretty damn straightforward. Um, because you know, it also happens to be your objective. And, you know, if you get a game over in this game, you see exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Get that Metroid. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're already kind of like from from the start screen. You see, obviously, see what is so important about the Metroid. After all, the series is called Metroid, and um, so you you know what you need to look for. And your mission really isn't done until you find it. Um, and and yeah, as you say, so obviously there's a very early area where you see uh, obviously the statue, which will eventually lead to Torian. And it's a great little tease to kind of tell you, all right, well, there's a place that you need to go, but you can't get there until you go just about everywhere else and defeat these four bad guys. And um, it gets it gets it all across quite plainly and simply and uh, you, you can build off that it's it's not something that you need to kind of have like a complex story over although there is kind of a short sequence where it just sort of catches you up with the events of the metroid series mm -hmm. uh, up to that point but besides that you are uh largely kind of just on one objective and there's just a lot of things that get in your way <laughs> so you just have to kind of work through um any, any kind of obstacle that you have you know uh, be it some kind of landmass or be it some kind of enemy um but it's it's interesting because obviously once once you get to Torian, that's when it starts to get a little bit more story focused and i mentioned quasi cutscenes uh, before it's because uh, at at certain points um super metroid effectively kind of takes the control away from you as a player um 
and does something within the game um, that partly affects you, but is more to kind of present the next story segment. Um, and it, it there's very few times that it does this, but it's very effective when it when it does mm. do it. Um, in part because it's actually involving uh, elements of the gameplay, elements of the UI that you're familiar with, that you've spent hours getting to know. And uh, the, the first segment that I'd say uh, stands out uh, towards the end is that you have uh, the approach to Mother Brain. So this is before you actually get to the main room with Mother Brain in it, uh, the final boss of the game. And you're going through some hallways which are just specifically for advancing the story. Um, you enter an area uh, which, you, uh, if I recall, it's like it's largely kind of like made a made a sand. It's a long hallway of sand. First thing you see is a is a Teresa. Teresa is it? That you say? Your guess is as good as mine. Like, honestly, I pronounce it like people say Laura Croft, so we can get him get them back. It's fine. <laughs> so. Samus but, any, but, but anyway, but yes, but yes, the um, but the yeah, the li- the living statues that you fight, uh, you know, at certain points in the game, you see one of those things perfectly still, and um, even before you uh, approach it, it actually just kind of crumbles to dust. Hmm. And then a little bit further along, the screen actually stops, so you can't go any further, and uh, you see a side hopper enemy come into this, come along and through the screen, and um, all of a sudden, there's the there's the baby Metroid. No longer a baby Metroid, as we saw in the, the beginning of the game, but this massive Metroid that almost takes up the whole screen. That sucks the life out of this side hopper and then goes after you, but it stops. And um, you hear its temperament change, and then it just kind of flies off, because presumably it recognizes you. It's a great little moment, and it's it's one of those things where if the game was doing it every 20 minutes... You know, just taking the control away and trying to kind of, you know, push in another story segment, it would be annoying. But it was really effective because, mm. for one, first time I played it, I didn't know what was about to happen. I'm seeing my life drained out. I'm like, what is going on? And um, and then the you know the Metroid leaves you with just like one health, and thankfully the next room that you go to has no enemies and it has the the, you know, the energy refill and the, the missile refill. After all, you're about to go face the boss. Second segment of this, um, it's a great ending to a great game, and it's the whole boss segment with uh, with Mother Brain. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it it takes the control out. You 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 basically are obviously just firing as many missiles as you can at Mother Brain, lasting as long as you can. And then eventually, Mother Brain, which is transformed from the first game, is now this awful kind of like big brain t-rex thing um fires this uh gigantic blast at you um again saps all your saps all your energy and now uh the baby metroid comes back and actually saves you by attacking mother brain replenishes your health is healing you gives you some new fancy rgb powers um and I was I was just I was watching this and I was getting so involved in it. It was like, thing is, I knew about this ending, and I was still watching it, hmm. and I was still feeling bad for the Metroid. Like I was, I was watching it. I was watching my health go up, and that takes a while. Well, you know, if you've got enough like sort of health blocks, not to brag, but I. 
<laughs> you see the health flux go up. And I'm busy watching that. My eyes darting over to the other side of the screen because Mother Brain, which at this point had sort of kind of been frozen to stone, suddenly starts kind of like seeping some smoke. And they're coming back to life. And I genuinely had a bit of dread for what was coming because I was like, oh no. And charges another uh, laser beam, goes right through the baby Metroid and destroys the baby Metroid. And I tell you what, considering that you know you're getting breadcrumbs of of the main plot uh, throughout the game, it's really quite sort of threadbare on purpose. Um, I don't know if I'm just the sap for Baby Metroid, but that was a, that was a genuinely uh, great little uh, narrative moment, and it was a, it was a great little sort of finale to to Super Metroid. You've largely been playing a game that really the story isn't the main focus it's about the action it's about the exploration it's about your own personal growth sorry Mm. again it's about your own personal growth with samus um and that's just that's just a great way to to end it and um i thought that was engaging and uh like a, a wonderful way to sort of say right you've fought a long old game um we're gonna give you a little bit of a break before you make the escape sequence um and here is a way of kind of effectively kind of closing out the trilogy in a, in a certain respect mm. um you know to start off with uh to start off with mother grain in the first game uh, to get the baby metroid in the second and then the baby metroid comes back to defeat mother brain for good alongside you uh in super metroid um yeah so what what story is there is brilliant it's not constantly being thrown at you but i think the few moments that they choose to make it cinematic are really effective it's really cool to hear your experience of that as someone playing it for the first time. Well, obviously, I've not actually done that myself. I've seen it plenty of times watching Let's Plays, speedruns and stuff, but I've never actually got to the end of the game myself, as I said. Just thinking about it, it's almost almost getting goosebumps. You know, it's, it is really, it's really good. It's really powerful um, because for all the reasons you said, you know, you don't get that control uh, taken away from you all too often in the game and when it does it feels very important and better yet it doesn't sort of shrink down to faux widescreen you know the 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 top bar doesn't suddenly scroll down with black you know you've got your health and stuff on there because that's used as part of the cutscene it's i mean we talk we've spoken uh, about in-engine cutscenes and the sort of how good they can be and you know sort of keeping your immersion but using your sort of heads up display like that uh yes it's very powerful it's it's weird to have that feeling about the baby metroid considering you've not really even encountered it before uh at least not in this game um it's 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 odd but it's yeah it's so wonderfully well done um as you said a great end to a great game Uh, you definitely can't complain I, i distinctly remember just coming back to the start of the episode that's one of my strongest memories of this game Again, I'm like you know super young at this point, but I remember kind of almost cheering and pleading for the Metroid mm. to like just fly away. I've got much like uh, much like my friend uh, Cereal Box here. I, I'm like I'm not I'm not showing off. I just happen to have all the fuel tanks in it. No, but not quite. But I'm kind of I'm like I've got my health back. Fly away! Like literally, imagine like young Sherwin screaming at the screen <laughs> like Fly away! They're gonna get you. That's how much engaging it was at the time. How engaging it was at the time and. And the other really cool thing about it is it ends off on a nice point. It basically turns you into Superman. I've got the RGB gun, which is a wonderful description of that, 
which just annihilates everything, including mm. walls, enemies, everything. Like, it's so powerful when it hits Mother Brain, this all-powerful boss, it blasts her head backwards. Like, it's... And it basically says, you've finished, you know, you've got to the end state of this game, and now you get to be Superman for the rest of the, rest of the game. Like, for the next five, ten minutes, you're going to blast through this thing, and nothing can stop you. You've got the most powerful gun in the world. Go. And it, it just really, really, really fits in well. Like, it's a really awesome way to finish off. Um... And to me, the, the sort of minimalistic storytelling is... Yeah, I, I kind of cite... There's this, there's two examples of where you have minimalist... Well, one example of minimalist storytelling, which I think is... Unfortunately, falls quite flat on its face. For all that the actual world and the lore is brilliant, which is Hollow Knight. Um, because Hollow Knight has an incredible wealth of lore and a really interesting backstory. But the way that it tells its story, you have to go so far off the course to find that story, mm. it, it singularly fails if you're playing the game to the point where you can get to the boss and then not understand why you are here or why you're fighting it, and more importantly, why you've broken the shackles for a boss and then have to fight instead of just executing it while it's chained down. Mm. And it's something where, as a result, as much as I love that game, and I really do quite like it, it, it generally it fails at that point. And the opposite end of the extreme of that, which obviously isn't minimalist storytelling, is a Metal Gear game where you run from one room, have a half-hour cutscene, to another room, which has a 45-minute cutscene, and it feels like you're just watching a movie versus actually playing anything. And I think what Metroid does is it has a very minimal story, but it manages to make it... The key moments aren't missable, and they are extremely impactful, and they... They really, like, the whole focus of the game is working around this idea. You've got this singular focus, find the Metroid, you know, and destroy it or, you know, presumably return it back to captivity. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole focus is you're on your own against all these things that are kind of out there to get you. Return to the planet. It, you know, it sets that wonderfully kind of nice nods to the original, the, the original Metroid in terms of the surrounding when you first go into the planet. That idea of, hey, you're powering everything up and everything's starting to find you again being the bosses, watching that statue go and all this other stuff. The whole thing is really, really well done. It really supports the entire thing. So by the time you get to the end, and you are seeing the screens like Jordan described, they're perfect. You, you get to them, and it doesn't matter that you haven't the the bit with the baby Metroid. It doesn't matter that you haven't had cutscenes you know, earlier on. Just those bits there are enough to give you a hint of, this is what I'm searching for, I've definitely hit this, and now I need to get out because I've, I've achieved my goal. There doesn't need to be anything else. There doesn't need to have anything else more complex wrapped into it. And when you do finish it, you don't really feel like you've missed anything. You don't really go, oh, that was a bit of a hollow experience because I could have dealt with more context for why I was doing what I was doing. The whole thing is singularly focused to very, very focused, go kill this Metroid. That's all it needs to do. Yes. And as a result, I think it it it, just, it sums it up really, really nicely. Passes with RGB colours. Uh, had to. I had to. I just want to quickly chime in because I know uh, my co my colleagues have pretty much twisted the nail on the head about the baby and you know it's sacrificing its life to save Samus. And I wanted to highlight the um, some of the other stuff that has been already touched on, but is uh, great and it's dripping with environmental storytelling. Like there are corpses before bosses, and normally a mm. uh, a precursor of that boss. For example, you've got like a, a baby Kraid before you fight Kraid. Uh, the fact that when you enter 
Brinstar, old Brinstar, and you pick up the morphing ball in the same place it was in the first yeah. Metroid. It activates the security system, and then everything whirs into life, and monsters or aliens, whatever you prefer, start appearing everywhere. I think it's fantastic in the way it does this without saying a word. You know, the the only words you will ever hear are the last Metroid is in captivity and the galaxy is at peace, and then a few little bits of text at the start, and yet you can find out, you know, that Mother Brain has kidnapped your baby Metroid. At some point, they have broke it out of its canister. They have cloned it multiple times. Mm. They have started force-feeding it life to the point where it has become a uh, gargantuan monster. It still recognizes you. Uh, most bosses change their color and hue as you damage them until they die. Uh, in um, in the Metroid's case, it goes this color and beyond, so it really is suffering when it is saving Samus, even though it doesn't know it's already fixed her. You know, these kind of, like, twisted little things that amount to that creature is doing its damnedest to keep you alive, whether you want it to or not. And then you can go and give, you know, Mother Brain the worst case of whiplash imaginable with the hyper beam. <laughs> uh, it's um, very simple, really. And uh, for what it is, it's fantastic. I, I think it, it, you could have made it grandiose. You could have had, like, you know, someone on a codec and talking and all these other fancy bits. You know, I'm, I'm looking at you, Metroid Fusion. Um, but it didn't need it. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect without it. You know, mission accomplished. It's all you did. Like, as it says, see you next mission at the end of the game. You know, you did what you set out to do. And on that way, you find out exactly what's happened on this planet without words being said. Yes. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, so let's let's sort of wrap up a little bit on... Uh, try your best to conclude your thoughts on Super Metroid, how you think it fares uh, in terms of the series and the pantheon of video games and its legacy. Steve, final thoughts on Super Metroid. As I have been very impartial this entire time, with not an elephant, uh, not not a, a speak word, Stephen. Um, I have been very partial this entire time. You know, I, I've made it very clear that this game has flaws. I, I am lying, of course. Um, I have a massive heap of nostalgia for this game. But that being said, it truly does live up to its hype. It's a legacy title that. Honestly, you know, there's a reason it appears on top 10 game lists still, despite the fact the franchise the franchise up until now has been in a coma, and it's mm. been on hiatus because of one duff entry. And it's, uh, you know, even if you look into the history of Metroid, it's always had a bit of a checkered past. Like, even from the first game, even through the development of Super Metroid, Nintendo were like, you had, they had to push hard to get this game out, the developers. So just, just to go through all that ordeal and then stand up, and be a title that has not only a fantastic title in its own right, it then coined a genre. And, you know, maybe another franchise may have had a hand in making the genre more palatable to everybody. Sure. But even Metroid on its own. You know, you've got games like Shadow Complex. You've got um, Ori and the Blind Forest. You know, not every Metroidvania is a Metroid game. Mm. Uh, Axiom Verge is another one. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a fantastic legacy to have. And it's it's great that it's coming back. You know, I know we haven't really touched on Dread yet, but yeah, Super Metroid is and always shall be in Steve's like top five games. Nice. I can't be objective. I cannot be objective. I apologize. I have not been this entire you know, be straight with you. I've not really been objective this entire podcast. I've tried to be, but I haven't been. <laughs> no, That's I how mean good this game is. Uh, who can argue who can argue really in terms of a what a game to have in your top five. I certainly couldn't take fault with that. I agree, you know, I think Castlevania had a huge hand in 
uh, what we've seen out of the last 10 years or so with this sort of genre, definitely. Um, one thing I would say, perhaps, you know, part of that is, as you said, Metroid's had a weird history. Even with Super Metroid being the smash hit that it was, uh, suddenly we're on the N64 and we don't get a Metroid game because Nintendo don't quite know what to do sort of transitioning Samus into 3D, so it just doesn't happen. And then when we get to the GameCube, of course, things change completely with the Prime games. Um, which I'm a huge fan of, but obviously it's completely different. Um, so if there, you know, if timing had been different, or the situation would be different. If we'd have had more 2D Metroids, maybe you would have got more of an impact sooner uh, when there was more variety of games to play. Uh, but but yes, um, either way, it all leads back to Super Metroid. I think in terms of that genre explosion. Um, Sherwin, final thoughts on Super Metroid and the legacy that it has. It's alright. It's not right. good. Uh, no, it's yeah. I I think I echo exactly what Steve is saying. It's for me. This is as I said. This is this feels like the culmination of of a lot of the best possible games that were on the uh, Super Nintendo. Mm. Um, it feels like it is something where it is. A, it, it's one of those games that comes out late in the console's life cycle, and really just because they know exactly what this console can and can't do at this point. There's been so many other examples of stuff. It just smashes it out of the park. For me, it stands... It's not difficult to stand head and shoulders above all of the other Metroid games, I think, in the series. Hmm. Um, if anything, it, it's, a, it's a weird entry, because it is such a massive class, and the rest of the series just doesn't hold up in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's not a terribly nice thing to say about a game series, but Metroid definitely isn't... Like if you if you talk about Resident Evil, you talk about Mario, you talk about Zelda, you talk about I don't know Silent Hill, Halo, you know Call of Duty, whatever other games you want to talk about, these are all franchises that people recognise and go, "That's cool, I remember this one, this is great." Metroid is something that's just been cashing in on the popularity of this game and the legacy of this game ever since it came out, and my experience. As a, as a kid growing up was I bought the original Metroid, didn't really think much of it, couldn't get into it, played this and then went back and played the original Metroid as a result. <laughs> um, like, And then the other games going forward, kind of people played them because they love Super Metroid or they, and then they compared them to Super Metroid and said they're not as good as this. And I, there's a reason why Nintendo probably haven't returned back to it is because trying to, is trying to beat this or trying to sort of live up to the legacy it's set is it must be a very daunting task and ones where you know was this not fluke because obviously the people involved i'm sure extremely talented clearly had an amazing blueprint for what they wanted to achieve hmm. but you know future games would have to kind of have the same sort of vision i don't know whether you know that they can actually do that now like in terms of how the focus of it is i mean i don't know to be honest as much as i'm looking forward to metroid dread I genuinely at a stage where I think the logical progression for what Metroid should be at this stage and what Metroid needs to be is something that is more like Horizon Zero Dawn. It's <laughs> um, my, my take on where the next place Metroid should go to rather than this, uh, rather than Metroid Dread and sort of stick with our roots. And that obviously breaks a lot of different uh, different conventions and so on. But then Super Metroid did that. Mm. And I think... I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a hugely influential game. Um, it is absolutely a game that all of us, um, you know, with the exception of Jordan, who's only just encountered it, but, you know, in three years or so, let's find out if you keep going back to it or not. 
Um, but we all keep going back to it for a reason because we all really love this game. And it's, you know, even so, you can't finish it um, because you can't go on the screw jump. Like, it keeps right. coming back and plays it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, uh, my issues with that just sort of subside, and I just think of how great this game is, and I want to pick it up again. You know, um, as I yeah. said, the first time I would have played it would have been late 2000s or something. It was a joy to play then. It was a joy to play this week on the Switch, 25 years after release. My gripes are very minor. I would almost put money down now that in 25 years you play this and it's still just as playable, just as good. I think it is timeless. I think it really will last forever. Um, Any issues you might have, you know, we've got those issues now. Uh, You're not going to find any more. You know, people aren't going to suddenly start picking huge holes in this game. Um, It's going to go down as one of those games that lands in top 100 lists and stuff like that from now until the end of time, um, as it absolutely should be. Um, right, so Jordan, let's let's tie up our conclusions. Uh, what was your final thoughts on your first ever experience with Super Metroid? Well, thankfully, it was it was everything that I could hope it would be. Um, you know, you get you get to a certain point where if you miss sort of important movies or important games or important albums you can kind of feel like returning to them you might have an overcritical eye uh, you, you might not necessarily kind of see the same kind of magic that people saw when it first came out mm. uh, but I have seen it all I've, I've seen all of the magic of, of Super Metroid and you know why it is so successful as a, as a game design um, and you know why it continues to be important um, you know, in in a lot of different ways, it was effectively a blueprint for a genre of games that you know has continued to span over the last twenty five plus years. And you know, whether you call it a Metroidvania, whether you call those kind of games search action, whether you call them exploration action, or even simply Metroid like, um, mm. it is it is from this game, from Super Metroid, that so many of those games have been. Uh, born and had sequels of their own and turned into whole franchises or even had a complete sort of pivot uh, with regards to their own series to actually spin off and become Metroidvanias themselves. So the legacy is without dispute. It is uh, so strong and it's, you know, it's, it's obviously it's great that Metroid itself is having a resurgence and there's a new game coming out. Um, as far as sort of this game in terms of a, uh, you know, is this one of those must-play games? I think it has to be, for for how much impact it's had on the industry, and continues, and and how much it actually stands up. You know, coming from a completely fresh perspective, um, if you can play Super Metroid, you should. And the great thing is that, uh, as far as uh, all the Metroid games are concerned, it's probably the most accessible at the moment. Yes, not just because. It's quite easy to get into, but it's also quite easy to get a hold of. Now, that is one shame about the Metroid series, is that most of those games um, are not necessarily available on the Switch yet. And um, Mm. obviously, until that time, I would say focus on actually playing Super Metroid. Uh, In fact, if you're going to play one game from not only the series, but the genre, Super Metroid, there would be my recommendation. Mm. It, It honestly, it hits just about every mark on its first try um which is you know 
genuinely surprising because even I thought maybe going into it, well, we're going to see a lot of, you know, prototypical kind of designs that eventually get fleshed out, not only in the Metroid series, you know, with the advanced games, but also maybe through the Metroidvania, like the Castlevania series. But no, it's all there. It's, you know, from the very beginning, the designers knew exactly what they had, what they wanted, and what they were trying to achieve. And they hit on just about every mark, you know. I mean, fix a quicksand, and this is 100 out of 100. Um, but it's it's damn near close to perfect as it is. Um, and I, I think it will it will continue to have a legacy as a game, um, you know, long after, you know, even the Switch era. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially because of what it's actually had an impact on. Not only as pure Metroidvania games, which upon glance look like them, but just game design as a whole and, and how many 3D games have since adopted a lot of the same uh, philosophies in design. Mm. So, yeah, it's everywhere and if you've enjoyed just about any game in the last 25 years, it's probably got some fingerprints of games like Super Metroid on it. So, go check it out if you haven't. It's, I mean, if we haven't spoiled it for you too much, go check it out. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any excuse uh really if especially if you're a switch owner um even if you have never played it and listened to this uh, i don't think we can spoil the, the full experience of it really um so yes if you've got nintendo switch online and it's a pittance uh super metroid is immediately available for you so you should absolutely go and play it so that is actually going to wrap the super metroid discussion as we kind of made a bit of a mention to you there is one last question uh i just wanted to check everyone's hype level for metroid dread as i said this is the first 2d metroid game in 19 years uh discounting remakes which is pretty special indeed um bit of a surprise announcement as well of course we've been waiting on prime 4 for a long time um, and, and this kind of being announced at E3 this year was a complete surprise. I'm sure at least 50% of us have got it uh, pre-ordered. I know I have. Uh, I'm very, very ready for it. Um, show, and I'm curious because you said about obviously taking the series in a different direction. Um, I don't I don't recall if you played the Prime games or not or anything like that. Um, obviously, those are a huge departure. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to trying something new. Maybe I'm just kind of like, oh my god, a new Metro game. I'm happy enough with it as it is. Uh, but how do you feel? I know you've mentioned it a little bit previously, but uh, are, you, are you ready for Metroid Dread? Are you going in open-minded? Obviously, it's not going to necessarily live up to Super Metroid. Well, I I mean, I, I'm certainly part of the pre-order gang for Metroid, <laughs> uh, Metroid Dread. So that's cool. Um, I think you... As, as as unfortunate as this comparison will be, I am absolutely going into this with Super Metroid in mind because I think it's I think it would be silly not to. Mm. Um, you can't really look at any game like you couldn't play a Resident Evil game and the, you know let's say Resident Evil a new Resident Evil was announced you know Resident Evil Township sort of maybe Big City whatever yeah. we want to call it the new one. Um, I don't think you could ever approach that without having the other Resident Evils. And I don't think it's, it's a especially it's it's a two D, it's a two D side scroller or from what looks to be anyway mm-hmm. in terms of what it is, um, or at least a three D side scroller, whatever the appropriate term of it is, it's going to have inevitable comparisons with Super Metroid, um, and sure. and I think it's going to be something where, knowing the attention that 
sort of you know Nintendo tend to lavish on these big titles like this. I really am looking forward to it being a real successor to Super Metroid. Um, because otherwise it's something that says, well, why did you bother release it if you went to go all the effort mm. releasing a game and you can't top something you made back in 94? Mm. Like, where's the point in releasing anything beyond that? That makes sense. Like, you should really be, every game that comes out should really be pushing it that much further, should be, in some capacity, should be the next best thing you've released. Otherwise, you're just sort of going backwards and sort of looking back and going, yeah, this is... This is not really where I want to be. So I, I definitely think that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I that that's that's my honest take on it. And as much as I've just said about it could go in a different direction, I'm excited to see what they do with this one. Mm, that's uh, fair. I've, um, you know, I've, I've played the, the remakes of 1 and 2 and I enjoyed them well enough. Um, but obviously the last 2D Metroid game is... Uh, probably the one that lands at the bottom of the pile for most people. I know that's not necessarily true of everyone, or even necessarily true of everyone here. Um, but you know, Metroid Fusion. Uh, we talked a lot about how Super Metroid does so much by saying so little, uh, and Metroid Fusion is often kind of uh, lambasted for doing co- sort of the reverse, uh, saying you know too much and being a bit linear. Uh, I enjoy it well enough, but it's definitely not one of my favourites, so I'm excited to see a brand new non-remake game and see what direction they go with it. Um, I'd, I'd prefer it, obviously, to be closer to Super Metroid's uh, sort of system, and I'm, I'm excited to see, because it's the same studio that worked on the the Metroid 2 remake, and that was pretty good, uh, going off of the um, basis of that game, so I'm excited to see what happens when they're perhaps given uh, a few more keys to the kingdom to see you know just to try new things and, and just to see how it works out so you know it being so long since metroid fusion as well we really have no idea exactly what we're getting into i'm just yeah i'm very open-minded and very excited and also just my i think i tweeted it but my first reaction to it was you know we've got like stalker-like enemies in metroid dread how have we not had that previously how's that not been a thing in metroid like it, it seems like a perfect fit um steve i think you're a fan of metroid fusion aren't you how are you feeling about dread as long as it learns the lessons from fusion and it doesn't stifle mm-hmm. it with a excessive narrative it should be it should be a fun time like like you said the people who made Silas returns made this and i think if anyone was uh, worthy to pick up the bat it's either these guys or Retro Studios. But obviously, Retro Studios are meant to be busy with Prime 4. Right, so um, we've got both of them working on Metro games, so that's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um, looking at it in a purely objective standpoint, it will never probably live up to my expectations for a Super Metroid sequel. Mm-hmm. But the same token, their bar has been missed so far and so low before that I... If already from what I've already seen, they they get it. They they are taking even things from like Smash Brothers Samus and incorporating it into a you know two D move set like counter blow moves and all these other cool little things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm sold on the design of the the Emmy things. They look a little too portal for me right. compared to the aesthetic of the universe. But otherwise, I, I'm on board. Like you know, I I don't know if it's going to blow my socks off, but I know I'm going to have a good time. That makes sense. The yeah. fact that Metroid's even back in the true sphere of things, and uh, from the snippets, I think of one of the boss fights. Uh, I think it is where Samus does like these cool little poses and things. They they clearly have a uh, they're clearly on my kind of rule sheet for what they see as Samus's character rather than other M, mm-hmm. as in you know the the stoic badass as opposed to whatever the heck it was in other M. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that alone is good enough for me. 
Yeah, that's fair. So I, I have pre-ordered it. I'm excited. I don't I don't expect to be disappointed. I'm just waiting to see how much I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. I've uh you know, I I I can see where you're coming from with the sort of <laughs> GLaDOS robots. <laughs> Definitely. Um but it's it does seem to sort of fit in with the rest of what we've seen out of Dread and what we've seen out of sort of Samus's new design. I don't know if there's been a reason to explain her sort of suit design, but I tell you what, I'm actually shockingly into this sort of like white and blue. Um, I pre-ordered the Amiibos, uh, as I said, sort of I uh, referenced it at the beginning of the show. Uh, Jordan was like, "Oh, they're available. Uh, pre-order them, and then if you don't want to have them in the end, you can always cancel your pre-order rather than regret it later." Uh, at this point, I know I'm just going to get them. I want that fancy new Samus to go with my uh, my other Metroid Amiibo collection that seems to be gathering. Um, Jordan, how do you feel about Metroid Dread? Excited? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, fr- from a from a standpoint. Uh, of of where I am at with the Metroid series, it's been a real Metroid year, mm. <laughs> and uh, it was. I didn't start on this with the intention of it obviously culminating in Metroid Dread. I'd already started playing through uh, some of the games when all of a sudden Metroid Dread is announced, and it's like, well, now I have to finish this. The rest of them now, I, yep. now I now I need to go play Super Metroid. Now I need to go play Metroid Fusion, which will be my next stop. Um, you know, in between now. And when the game comes out, late October, I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and I think I'm just I'm happy that Metroid is in uh, such a great place. Um, with with the series, it kind of it's a, it's a case of uh, when it rains, it pours in terms of actual content. Mm. Um, but otherwise, it is like a desert, a massive, wide dry as dry desert because you just don't get anything for years and then you might actually get uh you know quite a quite a bit of a sort of a landfall of of different games all of a sudden just pop out of nowhere and that's kind of what the case is here so you know to anybody who obviously is you know interested in metroid series make the most of it right now Mm. um this is the most important time for uh the games to be picked up and played uh because uh, ultimately Nintendo does kind of lose interest after a few years and kind of drop it. So the more successful these games do, the more Metroid we're likely to see in the future. I mean, I think it's just, as a whole, I think the series is in in a pretty good place. It wasn't the case a few years ago. I mean, you know, when you had other M... Federation Force. Federation Force. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it it looked pretty bleak because it just looked like, you know... Nintendo could not power themselves through any kind of decent ideas they could come up with uh, for Metroid, and it was, you know, pretty upsetting. You know, you had Yoshio Sakamoto, who had finished Me- Metroid Other M, was heavily involved in that. The the backlash from that game and the criticism from that game almost forced him to basically step aside from Metroid altogether. Instead, we ended up having a studio like Mercury Steam, who... Uh, again could have went in a completely different direction after their uh, maligned although i think that there's at least some quality to it uh castlevania lords of shadow trilogy mm-hmm. um you know suddenly got involved and, and were able to actually take on the role of uh remaking uh you know metroid 2 a long overdue remake uh right there um so you've got it you've got a studio that you know, in this day and age, could have just gone defunct. It could have, depending on who, uh, whoever had the ownership, whichever publisher was in control of that studio, they could have just been shelved. Um, instead, they kind of bounced back from Lords of Shadow 2 
and you know picked up uh you know one of the most iconic nintendo franchises ever um to to bring back a long overdue remake um to to a series and team up with sakamoto who takes a producer role so it feels like all the pieces are coming together for something Mm. that certainly looks very positive um i understand the kind of the criticisms with regards to you know maybe the new look and maybe the new enemies but obviously it's worth remembering that the thing is uh much of the metro games that we have played and we've known kind of you know had a lot of their ideas born you know from at, at the very least 20 years ago and far more than that right. uh, going back this is all brand new this is past fusion in the timeline i think this is past just about everything if it I'm, is yeah i'm correct yeah so we're going in a completely different uh direction and you know, new isn't always seen as good on, on like the first take when things initially come out. I'm going in with as open a mind as possible. Um, it's probably easier for me to do because I'm getting into Metroid quite late. Mm. So a lot of this is fresh anyway. But for people who are maybe still a bit on the fence, um, I don't think there are many people like that, to be fair, with, with Metroid, because I think you're just happy with what you can get. Right. Um, but... But yeah, just just give it just give it a chance because I think that they they are tuning into uh, you know the strengths of Metroid. I mean, the the one thing that I absolutely love and really needed to be a factor was the speed of the game. It looks uh, so smooth, and mm. the the fact that you can constantly kind of move from screen to screen with with such ease um, really kind of gives me hope that they're really tapping into what's important about the pace of a Metroid game. And not getting themselves bogged down the way that especially other M did. Um, it's all encouraging points. So excited for you know what could be uh, a big era for Metroid, depending on right. how well Dread does, and depending on what kind of direction they want to take. Um, we've got Prime Four somewhere on the horizon. Whether it whether it comes out on the Switch or not, I don't know. It might be the next system. But fact of the matter is, if you are a, if you are a Metroid fan. The good times seem to be coming back and mm-hmm. uh, make the most of it. Yeah, I think you're right in that. Uh, probably don't need to tell people this. Or, you know, just don't need to necessarily start waving the flag. Everybody already knows. But of course, if you're a Metroid fan, you should have this uh, pre-ordered. You should buy it as soon as possible to show Nintendo uh, that they should probably care about more Metroid games in the future. Because if Dread isn't necessarily uh, the greatest thing since Super Metroid... You never know. Maybe the next one could be. Uh, it's just important that we enjoy the games that are coming and hopefully more come and we don't just wind up waiting another decade or something, as you sort of mentioned there. But nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube and more at fasprayPod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes. And if you enjoy the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB Steve with Taken. Jordan is at SerialBox64 and Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week.
Um, it's, are, are you still recording, sir? Yes. Um, I didn't want to bring this up until the very end so that it might be easier for you to just sort of edit in. There was one thing that we kind of missed and probably wouldn't be able to get away with releasing without talking about it, and, and that was if you wanted to uh, cover the bosses at all. I mean, it's we're, it's already about two hours long. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a redux. <laughs> we'll go back to it. Yeah, we'll do the, yeah, direct, yeah. Do the direct. I mean, the, the, they have like very telegraphed attacks, which helps, and they normally have obvious pain states, with the exception of Fantoon, who's a pile of <laughs> Ridley's a straight drag out proper final boss fight, and Mother Brain is more of a cutscene sequence that is a fantastic set piece. There we go, we're done. Job's good. Um, <laughs> okay. Glorious end. We can literally fade out the episode and then just go into. The... I, I, I'm totally with it, and we should probably leave it in. Fade the down. Just... Go into Steve Boss rant. Got it. <laughs> <laughs>